Greetings, season's greetings, everyone. We have a festive show, so we're going to get right to it. How are you, Carl? Merry Christmas to everyone. I hope everyone's having a happy holiday. And a safe one, too. Uh, we have two that, guests. That was not your question. Your question was, how was I? And I yes. just talked to everyone but myself. But I did so many Christmas things, including things that some of our guests are going to be talking about. I did patriotic things. I did the uh, wreath laying at the Jefferson Barracks this week. I did the ballet. And we can talk to our guests and see what else I did this weekend. All righty. We'll talk to our guest, Joshua Way from Sonoma, St. Louis, and Tom Ridgely from the Shakespeare Festival about what's going on in the Central West End. We also have the reps cooking carols and cocktails. We'll talk about the St. Louis Ballet and the Muni's Christmas plans. Around minute 27, we'll get into movies with Joshua Ray, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Around minute 48, Let Them All Talk. Around one hour and one minute, Fatal. Around one hour and eight minutes, Another Round. Around one hour and 12 minutes, Joshua will talk me into watching Collective. Around one hour and 20 minutes, The Midnight Sky. Around one hour and 27 minutes, I'm Your Woman. Around one hour and 37 minutes, Wander Darkly. Around one hour and 41 minutes, Beast Clawing at Straws. Around 1.44, The Stand-In. Around one hour and 46 minutes, Driveways. Around one hour and 48 minutes, The Bee Gees. Yes, this is a long show. And then one hour and 55 minutes, Joshua Ray's upcoming projects, about which you'll want to hear. Well, our third in the Real Times trio is Joshua Ray, who has been our guest before, and we're so happy you're here. Thanks for having me again, guys. I'm excited to be here. And he's got some projects to talk about, so that's going to be good. And then our very, very special guest is Tom Ridgely from the St. Louis Shakespeare Festival. And they have a really fun event right now that you can do socially distanced and safe and just outside fun. And I want to give them a plug for this year. They well, when when I do my year end wrap up of theater, such as it is. I will be talking more about them, but they have taken lemons and made lemonade. They have the most innovative programming all year long. And if you go to their website, you can still get some of it. And this summer, they had a late summer stroll that was in Forest Park and it was connected to a Midsummer Night's Dream. And it was wonderful. I have been I have been to Shakespeare Glen every year since they began. And once again, they they keep the streak alive by doing it in some sort of form or another. And this was really high tech. They had all these really cool arches. I have a whole bunch of pictures. So but they had arches and then they had a little smoke smartphone app that you could swipe and get the back information. And then when the performers weren't there, you could still do a walking tour. And you could still get in on the gist, but the performers were all great. It was dance, it was actors, it was singers, it was pantomime. Yeah, uh, violinists. It was just it was it was just so perfect. And I went like at six o'clock at night, and it was like the most perfect time. So it was wonderful. So now, well, we instead have- of letting us talk about how much we loved it, let's <laughs> talk about the guy who put it together. Yes, Tom. Hi, Tom. Tom. Hi, Tom. Have, have you been at the Shakespeare Festival for two years? Uh, yeah, two and change at this point. About two and a half, I guess. Okay. And where did you come from? 
Well, I was in New York before that, where I'd been for a number of years working for a company that I had founded called Waterwell, uh, but I'm originally from Indianapolis. Aha. Uh -huh. So you know what a Hoosier is. <laughs> well, we, it means something different to us, guys. Right. Yeah, but you were with the Public Theater. You're Drama Desk nominated director, so you have the bona fides. <laughs> uh, they were nice enough to 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 give us uh, to give us that. Um, but uh, you know, it's funny. I think what you realize coming to a place like St. Louis is it's really sort of like the impact on the community that you use to sort of measure how well you're doing. Um, and so uh, it's been great in a sort of strange way to get some pretty unusual opportunities to, to, to do that this year. Well, I was, I was in the central West end yesterday and there were, besides your event going on there, there were other things going around. It was just a very merry Christmassy atmosphere. Salvation army was there with the kettles and they had the Salvation army band. They had small businesses selling and giving away, they were giving away chocolate, selling wine and other cordials. And they had restaurants selling food curbside. My daughter wanted to go to left bank, wanted to go inside to left bank books and buy a book, but they're only doing curbside. So she was trying to order a book on her phone and all these things were just going around the central West end while you guys are doing something special with a Dickens Christmas Carol. How is that coming about? You're frozen. Yeah. I was going to say, I think he's I'm like, wow, he did not like my question. That wasn't a question. <laughs> as we well, critics as, tend as, to do yes as soon as he unfreezes it it's, feels... it's called oh there, there you are is. There we is. were so worried you were frozen oh, so wow. i was i was right. listing i was listing all the things that were going on in the central west end in addition to your event but how did your event come about oh and i was and i was heaping praise on the central west end for doing all those amazing things um but our event came about as we were sort of wrapping up the summer stroll and just looking ahead to the winter and this time of year, we just realized that so much of what we love about the holidays, it just isn't going to be possible. There aren't going to be, I mean, I mean, we can talk about it later, but and thank goodness they found a way, but you know, the nutcrackers and Christmas carols and holiday parties and concerts and all these things uh, that we look forward to. Uh, so many of them weren't going to be possible. And so we just felt like we needed to find a way for people to have something that felt a little familiar, but that was safe outdoors. And the one holiday tradition that felt sort of COVID friendly is taking in the holiday window displays, either back in the day, if it was downtown at Famous or Six and Bar or, um, or you know, Michigan Avenue or Fifth Avenue in New York. So, and, and the Central West End has been doing this for a while, a, a, a sort of version of that. And we thought, well, there've been so many businesses that have closed down in that neighborhood recently. We could take those empty storefronts and turn them into something really beautiful. And so we brought it to the Central West End and, and they love the idea. That's it really is a sight to see. And there is so much, there is something literally for everyone. Unless, of course, you hate going outside and the crowd people, people are being respectful and staying away from each other. And um, my daughter and I were walking with my wife and we were all walking in a straight line so we wouldn't get it. And there was this family 
a daughter was introducing her boyfriend to her grandmother for the first time. And we were trying to stay away from them. And my daughter said, well, I think we just ruined that wonderful family moment by socially distancing, trying to stay away from people. <laughs> no, people are great. People are wearing masks and you're right, yeah. keeping your distance. So it, it, it feels perfect. Yeah, I mean, as, as safe as safe can be these days. Well, that was such a neat idea to do the windows because I'm older than all of you. And I remember going to Famous and Sticks as a kid. Go, you had to go to 13th floor. That was Toyland. To get Wonder your French onion soup. Yeah, well, that was where Santa was. That was the Santa Wonderland at Famous. Yeah, well, so I, we, went to, we went to Crestwood Mall when it was, well, what, first when it was a mall. And second, when it was half the size of, or a third of the size, what it was before it closed. Aha. Uh -huh. But that was a tradition and going to see uh, the, the uh, displays. And then as you got older, then you went at night with friends and dates. And it was just, it was really sad to see that go. And I've been in New York at holiday time where you get to see all the windows at Saks and Lord and Taylor and Macy's and yeah, Macy's and it's just really festive. So that was what a great idea, you well, know. Sachs, Stack, Sachs is still doing their uh, projections. I mean, they're not letting anybody in to Rockefeller Center, but if you've ever been there at Christmas time and saw the Sachs projection that they do on their wall, from you have to be in Rockefeller Center or headed towards Sachs to see it. It is really amazing. And it, it, I mean, before Disney started doing their things on the castle, that this was what the high tech projection of the future. But now, now it's every now you can do it on your house. <laughs> so, uh, and you have taken modern technology because um, the, we're talking about the windows, which is a nostalgia aspect. And I think this season, and I think this year in particular, because it's such a strange year, there's a lot of nostalgic feelings. And so you've taken that, but you've also used technology so everybody can have the same experience. Yeah, we wanted it to sort of be a nod to this tradition of, of, of taking in the holiday windows, but it, we obviously wanted to make it feel really, really resonant with, with our time. Um, and so we had originally been planning to do a show called Q Brothers Christmas Carol. And that's a, a musical adaptation, sort of a hip hop musical adaptation of a Christmas Carol that this group, the Q Brothers, who are based in Chicago, have been doing at the Chicago Shakespeare Theater for the last seven, eight, nine years. And it's been their holiday show. It's been a big, big hit for them. And they were down here in St. Louis at the beginning of 2020 before everything shut down. We produced a show of theirs called Dress the Part, which is an adaptation of Two Gentlemen of Verona. So we were hoping to produce their Christmas Carol this holiday season. Obviously that didn't happen. Um, and so as we were just starting to put together this idea for the walking Xmas Carol, they rang us up and said, hey, you know, since we've been locked down, we went into the studio and we recorded the show because the whole show sung through, uh, you know, it's almost like it's, uh, it's operatic in that way. The music just never stops. And, but they made a great cast recording of it um, and were sort of, you know, just wanting to let us know and see if there was any way we could kind of, you know, share it with folks. And we thought, well, this is great because we thought we were going to have to record, you know, local actors reading Dickens' A Christmas Carol or something, some sort of audio components to go along with the windows that really helps tell the story. 
And so we really just lucked out that they happened to get that done. So yeah, if you going now, you get to listen to this amazing, fast, funny, uh, really clever take on a Christmas Carol while you take in the windows. So yeah, you get, was, the, you oh, get it on your smartphone, like you get it on your smartphone. You got to have a head, make sure you have your headphones with you. And then no, you, no, no one has headphones. Everyone's walking around like this. Everyone's walking around with the with their phones up to their ears because they're in groups and you can't share. You can't share headphones with people. And so if you're with your family or significant other, you're all listening on the same phone. It's very funny to see because you can tell who's doing the Shakespeare part and who's just looking at the windows. It is funny. You do sort of hear like beats sort of all around you as you're walking through the neighborhood. But I have seen a few couples sort of sharing the earbud, which is very cute. The the quaint wired earbuds. Yeah. Uh, right. the, well, I'm bringing my earbuds. But um, I will say if you're there by yourself or you're there with one other person, the headphones really, really. <laughs> yeah, awesome. yeah. Because just uh, one of my girlfriends is coming with me. And yeah. Um, what about, okay, so there's 21 stops and uh, you, you find the map on your phone, like you can call it up. The first, the first one's at the Drunken Fish, which is right in the heart of everything. And right. the last one is by Straubs. So make sure, uh, my wife didn't understand that at first because we parked at the Chase and she's like, well, look, here's number 19 of 21. I'm like, no, no, we need to, we need to go down to Straub's first because i mean we need to go down Straub's is the end we need to go down to drunken fish because that's number one and number two technically that's right it is yeah so you can go to our website and, and download the map ahead of time or you can just go right to the drunken fish as carl was saying and scan that first qr code and it'll pull up the map and all the audio track. tell you where to go oh okay well see that's using all the tech and the last time for this is wednesday december 23rd my birthday yeah and it goes till uh what time is is it officially cut off uh it's really 24 7 so you can do it anytime you want to do and we sort of yeah been advertising the 23rd is the last day but in all honesty, guys, we're not breaking it down until Monday. So you could you could also go through, you know, the 26th or 27th or whatever that is. Oh, well, that's no, no, that's cool. Because if people are in town and, and another thing is, too, you are going to have a special virtual one online Tuesday night at seven for people who can't come down. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a virtual tour, as you say, Lynn, that people people can take if they if they don't feel like coming out, which of course we understand. Um, and I think that's timed to come out with uh, Classic 107.3 is actually airing the entire Q Brothers Christmas Carol, which is about 80 minutes long. We have about 40 minutes of it that's in the walk because we sort of edited it down. Um, so folks can keep moving because it's a little chilly. But uh, yeah, you can do the virtual version and listen to the whole thing uh, on Tuesday night. Love, I great. love that. That is that is one of my favorite stations, not because it's on radio.com, but because I I I love Jim and Tom and Kathy and I love I love that station so much. I listen to it all the time. My wife calls it the distracting classical music. And my, <laughs> my daughter listens to it in the car to calm down before school unless there are strings. She's like, oh, too many strings. Turn it off. But Oh. I, li I listen to it as I take her to school on days I do take her to school just to get in the flow with the lovely Jim Doyle. 
Yeah. Well, this uh, these Q brothers, I will say, you are not gonna get this. You are not gonna get bored at all. Or does these guys are hilarious? I sat in the ready room, R.I.P. Right, the ready room, and I laughed from start to finish. They did Two Gentlemen of Verona like it was a high school movie from the 80s. <laughs> it was so funny. You would have loved it. It was like John Hughes meets Dawson's Creek. Meets it. And it was all this hip hop. And they were nonstop. So these guys are a hoot. So it's not going to be any kind of stuffy. This is not your grandma's Christmas carol. Yeah. So... <laughs> But the, the thing about Shakespeare Festival, because everybody knows about the summer program in the park, and you delayed it, and then it was not going to happen. It was just really sad. So you use the park. But what they have done this year is they have a YouTube channel and a Facebook page. They have all this programming. They did, what was the one where everybody was in bed, and they did like 20-minute plays, one-act plays? Shakespeare in the Sheets, we call that. That's it. That's it. Because <laughs> Shakespeare in the Streets is one of my favorite things where they take a community and they go out and they do that. And then there's always the Shake 38 and people do other. So there was all this. And I participated in something Josh Cinema St. Louis did. It was movie versions of Shakespeare. And initially I was going to do... <laughs> The original Taming of the Shrew with, uh, oh my God, Mary Burton? Pickford and, and oh. no, it was Mary Pickford and who's Douglas Fairbanks. Yeah, Douglas Fairbanks. Oh my God, I watched it because that's what I I didn't know they changed my programming. Oh my God, I was like, what am I going to say about this? And because it, it's so, it's so, it was like you know really oh really bad and then you know because it fits that era yeah and you don't realize how you know because they were for the first movie stars and you don't realize but how, uh, how badly women were treated in the 1920s well yeah that <laughs> that is a lot but um so i got to do the the program that was about west side story yes and that's my favorite musical so that was awesome that was just awesome. And then we were excited about the movie coming up, but the movie's not coming out yet. So no. so anyway, but no, you what are you planning for next year? Because obviously the year isn't gonna like magically New Year's Eve, we're all gonna go back to doing what we did a year ago. Lynn, the the the, the phrase is all plans subject to change, right, Tom? That is true. Yeah, there's nothing that uh, we can predict with any certainty that any of us will be doing next year. But our hope is that by late spring, early summer, that we'll be able to return to something that feels a little more familiar. So we, we still got our, our normal slot in the park that we're planning for. Obviously, we'll adjust if we have to. Um, but we hope to be back there right after Memorial Day. And we have had to shift our tour back. We typically do a tour to schools in the spring, um, but we're going to do something different a little later um, towards the end of the summer that we'll be uh, sharing more about soon. And then we were at the Shakespeare in the Streets program that you mentioned, Lynn, uh, had to get postponed from last year. So the one that we're doing next year is really, really special and important i think it's with this neighborhood 
called The Ville, and we've been working with them for a long time, um, and we'll be sharing their story um, in their streets uh, in September of 21. They have so many good people connected with them, really talented people, and you keep growing with that. But education is a big component of what you do. It is. And, you know, particularly right now with all the talk about these school closures, I think education is, needs to be just a, a focus for all of us um, and, and figuring out how to solve what's, you know, what's broken with our, with our, with our education system right now. And so, uh, you know, there's a, a big public conversation that's happening around that. Uh, and, and it's tied to a lot of issues um, to do with the city and the population loss and the reasons behind that. Um, but uh, one thing's for sure, I, you know, there's, it's hard to pick a, other than our health, right? Other than our physical health, it's hard to pick something more important than, you know, how, how, we're, how we're raising up the next generation. True. Great. Well, in the meantime, you have done this wonderful festive thing. It's free, but a $15 donation is suggested. So Yeah, we'd obviously love for folks to chip in, but we didn't want anyone to have a reason they couldn't come and enjoy it, especially this year. So, uh, yep, you don't have to give a thing at all. Um, but if you care to support, obviously, it helps us continue to bring, you know, innovative programs like this to the community. And your website is? stlshakes.org and that will have the latest information about when plans change or if you can actually announce concrete dates we're planning to announce our plans for the season uh, in early march okay yep so keep well, going to the website i, I, I would say be, uh, best of luck but i think i have to say break a leg <laughs> that's right Please yes. <laughs> you're not at the theater yet but we want to be soon. We yeah. will be. We will be next year at some point. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's going to make it sweeter by being out in the in the open at Forest Park. And, you know, I just I remember last year going walking into the art museum and there were these brand new to St. Louis people and they were asking me questions. And I said, right over there is Shakespeare Glen and and this is what they do every year and then because the woman was walking by herself i guess her husband went and parked the car or something so then when i was she was turning to him and she goes there's a shakespeare thing you know so Good. it's just wonderful to be able to use forest park as as you know it's more than the zoo and my favorite well my favorite memory every year is hearing the lion's roar and the muni having like their finale all at the same time while Shakespeare is going on. So it is a, it is a wonderful place. So many things are going on. You're focusing on the play and then you hear, you, you hear uh, Mike Isaacson and company doing their grand finale way in the background. And then you hear the lions cheering along with both things. It's, it is a wonderful event. I love going every year. And as I said before, I have gone every year and even this year, uh, I still made a way to get there. You're you're in a very exclusive club, Carl. <laughs> well, because well, when I when you guys started, um, I was hanging out with Lori Mack, and she told me all about this because she was all about the theater, and she said you should go to this. And my wife, my wife found out about it. Therefore, we were going every year. <laughs> well, Alan Knowles is a big part of it. He has been in several productions. Yes. Yes. 
Yeah, he's wonderful. And they're just, it's just, there's just nothing like it. So anyway, kudos to you. Thank you very much for coming on. Have a safe and happy holiday season. And we hope to see you in the spring. Yes, sir. I'm sure we will. Thanks for having me, Lynn and Carl. Take care. Thank you. Bye, Tom. Bye. Bye. Oh, isn't right, that? So I can't wait me, for that. That's going to make my birthday happy because Charlie can't come home from New York. So I'm going to. But you know what you could do? You could send him a picture of the link and he could listen to it the same time you are. Yeah. Well, yeah, it sounds like a blast. I can't wait to get out there. It and is it. And you know, they really do. The, they do the most fun things. They really do. Um, he, uh, uh, what he's done with that group. And, and uh, it's just wonderful. It's it just, is. And I pull out a blanket and Schlafly makes their own special Shakespeare beer every year. <laughs> and then I fall asleep right before act one is ending. And then I wake up and watch the rest of it. I mean, cause it's Shakespeare. You've seen all these plays a thousand times, but it is still great. And it's wonderful for our little uh, city to have this. All right. Speaking of Lori Mack, let's talk about what, the wonderful folks that the rep are doing. Oh, Lynn's got her drink right there. And I just finished mine. They're doing uh, cocktails. Hold on. It's what is it? It is actually called. Carol's, it's Carol. It's a uh, cooking Carol, cooking carols and cocktails. Episode one, the drink recipe for the grapefruit ginger mimosa. And so go to their website and you can find out how to have holiday cocktails courtesy of the rep. Well, it's a four part web series web series with st louis chefs mm -hmm. and this one was part one that we that laurie sent us to right and so yeah so you have to go to their website and sign up for everything and they're like friday and saturdays at like five and six stuff like that so uh our episode was the drink recipe where you took fresh grapefruit juice ruby red squeezed juice and then this uh, ginger liqueur called the, the big, big O, the big O, and then topped with champagne. Yes. So what I did was, Drink I squeezed my I I squeezed my grapefruit, uh, one half of a grapefruit, to mm. make five ounces, and it was perfect. So um, I used my grandmother's vintage squeezer. Ah. And then, and then, uh, and it's very tasty. It's very tasty. Well, I, and I loved it. And I, I'm glad that the rep is doing, I love how these theater companies are doing things out of the box because they have to do something. And like I said, before we went on the air, I, the St. Louis ballet did the nutcracker. Now act one is insane. And there are too many people on the screen. So they're showing last year's nutcracker on their YouTube channel, but Act two is all the current people and they between acts and the intermission, they have all the students doing their own thing on little zooms, multiple zooms. And it's really cute. It's on their YouTube channel. It's going to be streaming consistently on um, their, on St. Louis ballet's YouTube channel consistently starting Monday, the 21st, all the way through Christmas. Well, that's wonderful. And then the, the Muni has their holiday magic. And um, we talked to Gary Bella's stray dog home for the holidays runs through December 31st. And uh, Dickens of a tour has been extended at the Fox. So you can go after Christmas. 
So, but anyway, the oh. reps got the reps got a lot of things going on. Go to their website; they've got a lot of virtual programming right now. Yes, and the, the not only did the Muni have all of their stuff that you were talking about, but as they announced this week, they're starting up again in July, the 5th of July. The Muni season is going to start, as you read in Lynn Benhouse's article in the Belleville News Democrat. And then they, they um, also um, will end it September 5th. Right. But they have shuffled the shows. Right. And not all the shows that they were going to do last year are part of the new the, the new it's it's going to be a different we we don't know what kind of world it's going to be next year so right right so i think again all things think, subject think, to change well since broadway's coming back june i think it's smart to do july 5th because right. you're out of fair st louis if that happens and uh you know so they're going to start with seven brides for seven brothers. You know, last year when they first announced this, well, this year, I mean, wasn't it March? I can't yeah. remember. It's like pre-COVID seems like last year. Yes. Today is tomorrow and tomorrow is today. So because I said a couple of weeks ago when I was interviewing Memories of Murder, I said, well, John, you know, John Boone Ho won the Oscar last year. He no, won it. It this was year. this year. The movie was last year. That was on your best of last year. Right. I would like to argue that it was, in fact, 10 years ago. Yes. And that we are in a completely different era. And, and no one can disagree with you. They can't, yeah. they, they can't yeah. prove it. Yeah. All right, so we've talked a half hour about theater. Let's talk about movies. Uh, the big movie that is out this week is, well, it's in theaters and it's on Netflix. It is the final performance of Chadwick Boseman in Ma Rainey's Black Bottom and Viola Davis. She didn't do this on Broadway. She was, she was in, well, I guess this is Broadway as well because it was August Wilson in the Pittsburgh. Oh, did you see what they did? This this play is the only one in the Pittsburgh cycle that's not in Pittsburgh. It takes place in Chicago, but they shot the movie in Pittsburgh, which is hilarious because you, you'd have to know that. But well, Viola uh, Davis they also they also call it. I will say they also do call it the American Century Cycle. OK, but he so they all take place in Pittsburgh, except for this one. So Viola Davis didn't play it on Broadway. Uh, Whoopi Goldberg played it in the revival. And who played it in the original? Who who played Ma Rainey in the original? Lynn, do you know this? No, no. Come on, Lynn. I'm sorry. I did. I. I I never saw. I was that. counting on you to know these, but th there are ten plays in August, and they're very famous. Famous. And I've seen and I've seen four of the ten thanks to the Black Rep. The Black Rep, the prestigious St. Louis company, has done the August Wilson cycle once, and they won. They got a special honor from the Wilson Foundation, and they're on repeat. And last winter they did two trains running and the August Wilson foundation came and gave them uh, an award because they really um, have taught me a lot about uh, August Wilson as everybody else. So uh, that's how Teresa, I get. Teresa Merritt Hines. Okay. I was going to. The original Ma Rainey. Well. 1982. Denzel Washington has been on Broadway in several August Wilson shows. 
he and made he, he made a pact with first of originally HBO to put all of these on film, and he stars in Fences that came out a couple of years ago. But now that production is no longer an HBO production; it's now a Netflix production. So Denzel Washington and Netflix are trying to get all ten of these films made. Right, and what is what is so uh, good about this is Viola won Best Actress for Broadway for Fences, but Oh, on the Oscars, they switched it to supporting. Right, which was weird. That I mean, it's weird, but that's their game. Right. Well, Chad, they're going for lead for Chadwick, even though technically he's a lead, but he's not the title role. And they're also going for Viola for lead, and she's really a supporting in this one too. That's what's weird about it is that I think you could make the argument for either of them being supporting because they are this kind of it's like whirlwind mm-hmm. and they're, you know, a yin and the yang and also like two opposing forces that they both have equal weight throughout the, well, I'm right. assuming the production. I've never seen it. Lynn, did you say that you have seen this one? I did not, on I did not see this one. This is one of, I've only seen Fences, Piano Lesson, Seven Guitars, and Two Trains Running. Hmm. Well, this- So that's this, all I've it's, seen. It's short. It's, it's about an hour and a half. I was surprised because once I heard it was, you know, from a play, I'm like, oh, well, this is going to be two hours and 30 minutes. No, it's nice, tight, an hour and a half. And I, it is, it is quick. Now I will say it is very uncomfortable for white people because the there is a, a plethora of n bombs and Chadwick Boseman says most of them in the first five minutes of the film. Well, another thing is because it's a play, it is very confined. Yes. Well, so you've got the recording studio, and there's not very much you can do outside. They do the street thing, you know, for a little tiny bit, and and uh, in in Chicago and then they do her performing in, in the south. Right. But that's about it. Basically you're in this recording studio. Two and rooms. The, the gist of it is from 1927 black people were screwed out of dollars <laughs> for music. Yes. And Ma really tries hard to get her worth. Yeah. And that's one of her battles. And um we can't spoil too much, but uh, Chadwick Boseman's character is a breakout because he can write music, but the old guys in the band, they trash talk him and, and he trash talks them about how old they are and not progressive. And so he's trying to write for a contemporary audience and mm-hmm. they're doing what works and Ma wants to do what works. And, and so Ma, Ma, has an, Ma has an ally with Cutler, who's the trombonist, played by Coleman Domingo. Uh, he's from Fear the Walking Dead, and he was on uh, Euphoria on HBO. And, and he was he was the dad in If Beale Street Could Talk. Yes. And he was also in Selma, and he is a very accomplished stage actor. Yes. It, he's the secret weapon in the mm-hmm. whole thing. I, I mean... Um, uh, the two leads, Viola Davis and Chadwick Boseman, are are really doing some acting with a capital A, and I mean that in a good way because it is a theatrical film. Um, he George C. Wolf, who is a right George C. Wolf, who is the you know the great Broadway director. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. he really he is developing directorial skills in film. And I think maybe that's where a little bit of it, it really maintains the staginess of it, which is 
fine. As a recording of an important play, I think it's okay and, um, and good. But uh, yeah, you're right. Coleman Domingo is just the, the stealth uh, star in this. If I were to go anyone supporting in it, um, I would definitely give him. Because I think, especially in If Beale Street, my beloved If Beale Street could talk, <laughs> Um, he is in my top five. Yeah. Incredible, deservingly, yeah. But um, I don't, I don't know. That's why I asked about whether or not you'd seen it on the stage because it felt very. Yeah. It, it is that right? Yeah, it is very. Uh, to me, it was. It's and that's why it's very talky. Well, now yeah. Viola is a pistol in this because Ma Rainey was a real person. Yes. See, I think a lot of people don't realize this. She was the mother of the blues. She didn't get the attention that Bessie Smith or Ethel Waters got. Yeah, but they, they were contemporaries and she yeah. allegedly okay. uh, Bessie Smith and Ma Rainey were uh, more than friends. Well, Ma is bisexual in this movie. Right. Yeah, it's pretty explicit in this yeah. that she's, you know, either bisexual, lesbian, pansexual. She kind of just Whatever. exudes sex out of right. her. And I think that's well, the, the song one is really... The song is innuendo. Black Bottom was a well, dance, but yeah. she made it into a sex thing rather than yeah. just the Black Bottom dance. This was uh, the song's about her ass. Yeah. Well, the think, Black Bottom. Yeah, it's, it was a dance craze back in the day. Right. It was it was it it back in the back in the 20s. It took over like the Charleston was the big thing. And then the Black Bottom was the next big dance after the Charleston. So she was she is the only person that's in the Blues Foundation Hall of Fame and Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Rock and oh, Roll wow. Hall of Famer. Yeah, the only one. So. 19, 1990. So, so you, do you know, think now hold on. I want to ask Joshua a question. Do you think anyone besides George Seawolf could have done this any better? I don't think so because he directed Angels in America. And so he he's perfect for directing this. I mean, he's perfect for certainly directing in the sense of performance, right? Because right. It, it is theatrical in the, that the dialogue is stage dialogue um, and that it's- But they're not very, screaming. Like, right, well, a little bit. Well, but but it's, they, they're heated, yes. It's very- purposeful and kind of flowery in the sense that it's the very tight prose and like you mentioned some of the language that they're using but it's it's got that theatrical poetic thing so I think George C. Wolf is definitely a great option for that but you know it is what it is it's a, a theatrical film and I don't think that's a necessarily bad thing I think maybe someone and you said um that it's really tight. It is really tight and it keeps you going. It's got great momentum, like it probably would be on the stage. But I think with that, it's also a little impatient too. Yes. And, and there's not a lot of breathing room in there, even when you sort of want it. And that's what you want from a film as opposed to maybe a stage play. Right. Well, I, because... I, I agree with that. I, I think the kid that plays uh, her nephew, Dusan Brown, that was Anthony Mackey in the revival on Broadway. I oh. think he would have been, I would have loved to see Anthony Mackey as the nephew doing that. And that, that was 15 years ago. Yeah. So when they, when they find out that kid's got a stutter and the look on all their faces. <laughs> and then what know she does, but what she does is she takes that opportunity to, to empower him to get better. And that's the whole thing. I think this play production, this film is really about is 
moving out of the old guard or even out of like stratification that the black folks are in, in even though they maintain a modicum of power um, and making way for the future. And I think that's, that's the conflict that it right between Chadwick Boseman and um, Viola Davis. And I think most people are really gonna wanna know what Chadwick Boseman is up to in this movie, it being his you know, final performance. And, and I he, think when he, when he wins his posthumous Oscar, <laughs> um, it's gonna bring a lot of people to it because he's doing something that he hasn't done before, just like in The Five Bloods, just like in, you know- 42. He, the, 42. The tragedy is that what else could he do? We'll never know. Um, right. But it, but as a final performance, it's it's a good it's, one. It's a good one. It's it's he handles this kind of um, you know the old school dialogue, the twenties dialogue, which is part of that purposeful dialogue I was talking about, expertly and like it's just secondhand and he just understands something innately about this character and him trying to get power and understanding his own power in it that i i think is innate to chadwick boseman and what we now know he was going through it's a level of confidence and a level of i have to do this because it's my last shot well and if you think about it black panther is the only one of his major performances that he was playing a contemporary character, even though he's fictional, you know, 42, he's playing Jackie Robinson in the forties and fifties. Uh, Jane, get on up. He's playing James Brown in the fifties and sixties. He's playing, he's playing Levy in the 1920s and defy bloods takes place in the seventies and flashbacks. So yeah. he did black Panther was the only thing that he did with that weird accent that was a current character. He was a great, you know, he could have been 15, 20 years ago. He could have been an ivory merchant kind of guy because he's doing he most of his shows were period pieces. Get a uh, uh, piggybacking on what Josh said about uh, about his innateness. What I noticed so much is he's such a dynamic person on screen. And that that uh, that was so inherent to his being that at first here, you know, uh, Levy is just, just this, just dynamo, you know, and he's flashy and he's got talent to, he's so ambitious and he's just oozing talent and he, uh, buys those shoes, the yellow shoes. And it says so much about his character, what he does. And at first he's just all flash and, and everything. And then, cause I was thinking, well, everybody's touting him for best actor, so well, there better then, be there better be something than just being that jolly musician, you know, that's just on fire. But no. and then <laughs> and then you, you watch this, you get the middle, you get the middle, and you're like, oh my god! And then you get the end, and, and the then end. You get the yeah. end where you'll be gasping. Everybody's going to be gasping, oh and my. then you're like, oh my. Now, yeah, when, I don't want to say anything about the ending. No way. It it really shocking. Shocking. It took me out of it. I I don't know that it made a whole lot of sense for the character. I understand that kind of built up so much tension that something like that might might happen. But Danny I was like, mm, this is a, a it, it well it does seem 
more representative than something that, you know, a, a character like that might actually do. So more right. symbolic than anything. Well, Lynn, well, you, you've seen, you've so, you saw Black, Black, The Five Bloods. The Five Bloods was what everyone was saying at the beginning of the year, right after Chadwick died, that, well, he's going to get nominated Best Supporting Actor. And now then they started talking about this and him being nominated as a lead. What do you think his chances are for either of those and which one he has a better shot of winning? I think he has a better shot at this, although there's going to be stiff competition because you got Anthony Hopkins in The Father and Delroy Lindo in Defy Bloods. And so it's going to be tough. I thought he would, if they would have put this in supporting, he would be a shoe in. Don't you think? He is a lead. As our buddy Dan Buffa said, he probably has more lines than anyone in the film. Yeah, that's true. But uh, Defy Bloods, he is a very small part. It's an integral part, but it's a very small part. But he has this one scene towards the end with he and Delroy Lindo back in the 70s when they're on this chopper or van or some sort of, I can't remember, some sort of vehicle in the war. And the look look Chadwick Boseman gives Delroy Lindo, it's just heartbreaking. So my lead for this one was like, he is going to break your heart all over again because this movie is just going to break everybody's heart because he's so good. But also you got the backstory about him dying in real life. Yeah. Well, I know we might talk about this a little later. You saw what New York Film Critics Circle did in giving Delroy Lindo, the actor, and then um, Chadwick Boseman, sporting actor, both for The Five Bloods. So I think maybe you could start a narrative on that. I would probably tip my hat towards Delroy Lindo. Uh, as great as Chadwick Boseman is uh, in this, Delroy Lindo is doing something you've never seen him do before. But, you know, whether or not that's important, he's doing something very special in Five Bloods. So uh, oh, yeah. I don't know. We've got how many months to figure it out? <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's another thing, too. It's going to be a while, but... I will say, well, as uh, you said earlier, it's going to be that could be 20 years from now. (laughs) It's going to feel like 20 years. One of the things about August Wilson is he wrote about the black experience that obviously none of us have had. And he sheds a lot of light on those for yourself on those experiences, which are fascinating. And I think um, one of the things he always has these conflicted characters who go through a lot. Well, yeah, but it fences. Shows, it's just a microcosm of the bigger picture. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I think Chadwick, but the way that ensemble works in Ma Rainey, they are so good. They were- You rehearsed- can tell that they were playing a band and you have, to, you have to have the back and forth of being a band like that. Yeah, and they learned how to play instruments because I, I sat in on a Q&A with Viola Davis and George C. Wolf, and it was very illuminating. They think that this is a timeless work and you can you know talk about that even though it's set in the 20s. But the guys rehearse like a band, like they learn their instruments and they also rehearse like a play. As they should have. Speaks to what you said, Josh, about it looking so much like a play. But Coleman is phenomenal in this and then you have michael potts as slow drag drag, and then glenn turman as um toledo toledo and those guys are so good they're they're really all incredible 
And Viola Davis, we haven't really talked about what she's doing. She has gone fully out there. She's sweating bullets the entire time. Oh my time. gosh. It she's is- her makeup caked on her face. She's so she's exuding power and sex, but also like kind of this griminess and like and while in a fat carry- suit. <laughs> yeah, and part of that doesn't really read right. Just proportional. It's fine. It's whatever. But she's she does she carries that weight with her and her body movement too. I think this is more than anything I've seen her, at least on film, she seems to be enjoying the hell out of performing this. And it is uh, really something to watch. It's it's like uh, watching Meryl Streep do one of her over-the-top uh, accented things. I know, I know, I know. I am up and down about Meryl, the goddess, but it seems like one of those kind of opportunities to give a really big performance and she is just going in for all of it. And I, I think it's just a sight to see. Oh yeah, well, she's a pistol. She is a pistol. The way her dialogue is so rat-a-tat. She is just nonstop dishing crap to people. It's like she is sassy and it's like really sassy. Not like she this. knows what she wants and she knows how to press the buttons of everyone around her to make sure that she gets what she wants. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. I like that you say that it's ratatat, but what's really interesting about it is that she hardly ever raises her voice. No. She doesn't need to raise her voice. She's very close mouthed uh, as far as the, the speech that she's doing. It's because she's this presence. So she doesn't even need to go. I mean, there's some times where things start popping off, but yeah, it's a really powerful performance. Of yeah. Her. Well, uh, you'll remember her drinking a Coke. Right. Three I mean, of them. Who, who drinks a Coke like that? Me. Well, the, well, you, <laughs> I identified with that. If you saw her on 60 Minutes a couple weeks ago, she said she she did it. She actually did the, she swigged the whole Coke down in every take. Oh, wow. Hey, well, but, but you can feel, this is a movie you can feel. You can feel the sweat and it's so beautifully done. The period piece, mm-hmm. the production design. Branford Mar- Marsalis did a great job with mm-hmm. the music and everything just fits. You know, it just, it's just a really fine show. But I do agree, it's, it is still a play. Yes, this is a filmed play. But not like not like Hamilton filmed play. This is this is a filmed play like Doubt was a filmed play. Mm-hmm. It's a good comparison. Now s- let's move on to something that Joshua alluded to on HBO Max. We have Meryl Streep, Diane Weiss, and Candace Bergen, <laughs> and let them all talk. Don't forget Lucas Hedges. I like Lucas Hedges and everything he's in. But I'm not the biggest He's, fan of this yeah. movie. Well, also- Lynn, I hate to say it. I am also not the biggest fan of this movie. And I always go for the underdog Steven Soderbergh ones, which I would include in this. It's not a big movie. Right. But I was uh, disappointed. Yeah. The gimmick that so- Soderbergh always has a little thing that that he has a gimmick in his films. The gimmick in this film is that it was shot with all natural light and it's shot on a cruise ship for the most part. And there are a lot. Uh, if you've ever been on a cruise ship, Lynn, I know you've not. Joshua, have you ever been on a no, cruise ship? No. I, I, a lot of my dear friends uh, take me on cruises all the time because 
of how they work. And I've been on many, many cruises. And this, I actually texted one of my friends who works for a cruise line and said, you need to watch this movie because it reminded me of cruising because they, you know, for the last 10 months, they haven't been able to work and do their cruise line. It, this reminded me of being on a cruise. If you're a fan of cruising, you will enjoy this movie very much. Now, having said that, and having said the gimmick that Soderbergh used, um, it's a weird little odd movie. It, has, it, it takes a long time to get going. And I really don't know why these three are friends. Well, you know, I'm a certain age and I have people that I went to high school and college with that are, you know, college with that are still my friends. But these people seem to have nothing in common. No. That they would keep uh, ties. You know, you fall off, as you guys know, as you grow, you fall off with a lot of people. Yes. And it's just like, so why that they kept up? Although they do have a line. No, they hadn't, they hadn't talked other. in years. And yeah. both Roberta, Candace Bergen, and Diane Weiss, as Susan, they're like, why did Meryl Streep's Alice Hughes, why did she invite us to this? They don't know why. She, didn't, she doesn't have many friends. The, the weird thing I found out about this is that Meryl Streep as Alice keeps asking Candace Bergen's Robert, Roberta, to go have drinks and hang out. She never asks Susan. She So when Roberta says no, she doesn't turn to Susan and go, well, do you want to hang out? No, it's just so weird. And well, so Roberta and Susan are the only ones hanging out with each other. Well, the, part of that is very purposeful. The things that well, you yeah. guys are talking about, right? So and not Susan to spoil knows anything. That. Right. right. But there are underlying uh, realities that come to the surface about things that have happened in the past and the way people use each other. If anything, I think a lot of that is really interesting. And and I got to tell you, every time uh, Meryl asks uh, Candace Bergen to go for a drink and she says, no, I, I laughed. <laughs> it was so funny. She but, brought you on this cruise and wants to spend <laughs> a half hour with you and you say no to her yeah, face. You, you figure because out why I'm going, eventually. I'm going, the, I'm going to the ball. Right. Or I'm going to the masquerade. Yeah. Or right. I'm going to this. I'm going to, she goes on a date. I think a lot of the text or subtext of the movie is about, you know, revisiting the past and trying to either undo it or make good on it. I think what a lot of my problem with it is on the surface of the movie, I just kind of didn't vibe with it. You know, it, uh, they've been talking a lot about how a lot of it was improvised. And at sometimes you can tell, um, which <laughs> you don't really want to be able to tell that something's improvised, right? Because you can see that actors are performing in a way that makes you kind of uncomfortable. And I think some of them are more capable of doing Candace, that. Candace, Candace Bergen, Bergen in the Victoria's Secret, she, I oh guarantee that was an improvised shot. She's on my short list for supporting actress because I think she is so excellent in this. Of the three of them, she's the one. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. She's the best of the one, and she's so good. Those withering looks that she mm. gives. And uh, people don't realize how funny she is. I mean, not just, I mean, Murphy Brown. She, she, won, she won Emmys for Best Comedic Actress. People know how funny she is. But well, I mean, just like maybe 
Yeah, but that was years ago. A lot of people don't remember Murphy Brown, but she was the first uh, female host to SNL, and she was the first five-time Mers Club, you know, for host. female. And so people don't realize that she's that nimble. I would say, you know, well, nimble. Yes, that's when, a... she, when she was an ingenue. Mm-hmm. She was in these movies. She's in um, the the group. Sand Pebbles, the group, and yeah. she's in Carnal Knowledge Carnal with Knowledge. Jack Nicholson and Art Garfunkel. Yeah, and Anne Margaret. And she's and- always been great. And she doesn't work a lot, but she seems to be popping up recently. Um, for as maybe as silly as a movie it is, uh, the Book Club. She's also the best part of that ensemble. Um, you know, say what you will about how kind of dumb that movie is. <laughs> I liked it, <laughs> but she's the best part of that. And when she pops up, she's she really just steals everything in a way that's not obvious. It's just that this confidence that she has and well, carries her with this character who is in such a vulnerable position because of the three friends, you know, she's uh, of a certain age, you would say, and working a retail job and the other two friends are just like completely taken aback when they find that out but that's a part of the plot really uh, of what's going on is how these people have used and abused each other um, to end up in the stations that they're in that's interesting the the way the film is made is not maybe as interesting as well I would like taking that point Joshua like book club, this movie is for women of a certain age and it would have probably done really well at the box office for the older women that go to Plaza Frontenac to, with their girlfriends to go see a movie. But it's just not this in the pandemic age. We don't, the, you can't niche out movies like that right now because, you know, oh, there's, an, there's new content. I'm going to watch it. This would have been targeted. This would have been on Lifetime and Hallmark Channel. Go see this movie. But instead, now everything's mass and not a lot of niche. So therefore, more people are seeing this possibly than normally than the target audience that would have been if this was a theatrical release. Yeah, and it is being sold as a Steven Soderbergh movie first, I feel like. Um, But certainly, you know, Meryl Carey's box office, and she still has, you know, she's got her hits and misses, not like she did maybe a decade ago, but I think you're right. It would have made some money, um, you know, for the scale that it is. But, you know, we can talk about HBO Max and whether or not, you know, people are going to it. Reports say that people are not going to it. I'm going to go on there on Christmas. I'm going to watch Wonder Woman on Christmas, even though it's a big flop overseas. Yeah, I'm going to be doing that, too. I, I'm, <laughs> it's because they won't I'm send excited. it to us. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, I'm, I'm going to I'm going to watch it on Christmas, too. I read a review last night that said the script is terrible. Well, I've heard I've I, people keep saying I, I'm hearing good things. I'm like, I'm hearing good and bad things about it, which means it's probably just OK. We've talked about everybody in the cast except for Gemma Chan from uh, crazy rich Asians. I thought she played uh, the literary agent very well. I thought her character was great. And the dynamic she had with Lucas Hedges, I actually thought that what happened was not going to happen. I thought it was actually going to uh, be the exact opposite of what, because this is a movie. <laughs> and I thought, even though there's a 10, 15 year age difference than in their two ages, I thought the, 
what was going to happen was not going to happen. Yeah, but again, it's a movie about manipulating people, right? So she's kind of this. She's she's an agent. She, she, she's an agent, right? She she is there on business, and whether or not you know there does appear appear to be some kind of attraction between the two. For me, I guess the the, the weak point of the movie is Lucas Hedges. Even though I do like him, I think he's always charming. I think he's always good. Um, not in this but movie. he just doesn't. I mean, yeah, no, I'm not. Say, I'm not top. saying that it's a good part because he's just there. You know, I mean, it's just like if you guys have seen French Exit. Well, that's the thing is that I watched Let Them All Talk and French Exit back to back, not even realizing that they were both Lucas Hedges goes on a cruise movies with older women. <laughs> um, he's got a thing, and in you know, in, 20, French, or in 2019, he had a he had a type. Yeah, yeah. So I. Uh, in that movie, it's a lot more interesting. There's a lot more layers, uh, complex layers in the relationships. Even though I probably like those movies about equally, uh, I think he's doing a, a character, you know, with a capital C in French Exit. That's a lot more interesting there. So Yeah, he's still just kind of wonder, meandering. This yeah. is a meandering kind of movie. And I don't get the relationship with, uh, uh, well, they don't really have a relationship, the aunt and the nephew. Uh, yeah, and, they, and they there's never a reason why she says he's bringing him along. Uh, everybody else has a purpose to bring them along, but not the kid. The kid, I mean, you hear about his bad uh, family situation, but you don't, she wasn't rescuing him. They don't live in the same city. Uh, it, it's, it's just, it's once again, it's a weird little movie. Now, before we wrap this up, was the ending satisfying to you? Yes. And that it was completely left field <laughs> and it really brought everything together and what Soderbergh was working towards in that kind of, you know, how people are able to manipulate each other, how the, the past really dictates your future and you think you can kind of drop it or at least work against it. And that is always uh, not possible for anyone. So in that, it worked. Was it dramatically satisfying? No, not necessarily. Lynn? I don't know. I just think it just kind of zigged and zagged and you didn't really know where it was going. But everything, and, everything made it was building. It was logical. Once you knew everything that was going on, it was logical. It, yeah, I know, Josh. You said it was out of the, out of left field. But if you look back at all the clues, mm. it, 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 they were setting it up the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right there. Yep. All right. I didn't see anything else except Wander Darkly. Lynn, take it away. What do you? What did you see? All right. Well, go ahead, Josh. Pipe in with what you got. I saw Fatal. Ooh. I saw many emails about Fatal. So <laughs> I, I got yes. sent the link five times. Hillary Swank, everybody. I'm like oh. I know they're really trying on this one. So Lynn, how was it? Um, it's just <laughs> <laughs> Well, sell it, Lynn. Yeah. It's okay. Did you see the intruder? Yes. No. It's the same it's, movie? It's a fatal attraction version of that. It's the same people. Dion Taylor directed. Dave Laurie wrote it. It has Michael Ely as the lead guy. Hmm. He's very limited in range. 
Let's put it like that. And they put him up against Hillary Swank, two-time Oscar winner. She is, okay, I got to backtrack here. If you saw Fatal Attraction and Play Misty for Me, those are the two gold standards in psycho women, (laughs) you know. So you got Hillary Swank as the Fatal Attraction character here. So I guess, you know, that's why they called it Patel. Okay, so. uh, She's a police officer. She's a police officer. Okay, so Michael Ely is this guy who's a sports agent. They started a a company, he and his best friend. They have all these high-powered athletes. They, he and his wife live in this gorgeous hillside home in LA. Mm-hmm. So everything's flying for him. He starts getting an idea that his wife might be having an affair. And he goes to Vegas for a guy's weekend. And Hillary swanks there and dancing and being all, you know, and they start talking at the bar. So they have this one night stand. First time he ever cheated on his wife. And the last time he'll ever cheat on his wife. So somebody breaks into their house and who's the lead detective? Hillary Swank. What? So she finds out he's married and he had a fake name and all this stuff. So she's all like. Well, it was going to be a one night stand. Why would that matter? Or was she trying to find him? I don't know. She's very complicated character because she had a previous marriage with the daughter and she was so irresponsible that he got custody of the daughter okay and she was disgraced and so when michael ely's trying to find out about her on the computer all this articles about her disgraceful behavior she might have been driving drunk at an accident or something like that they don't really go into details so um this is not a movie about details No, 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 no. This is the kind of movie that would be good to watch with the crowd because the crowd would be yelling at it and would be screaming and there are some good jump scares, but it is, it's, it's a notch up above the intruder, which I found one of the worst movies of last year. So how how is uh, Mike Coulter from uh, the Marvel universe, Luke Cage? Oh, well, He's the partner of uh, Michael Ely in this. I can't divulge. I can't spoil the plot, so I can't say too much. But, but is, he, is he is he the one of the better parts of the movie? No, he's a minor part. He's really a minor. He's really <laughs> yeah, a minor. No, part. there's no good parts. The two-time Oscar winner. She's a uh, she's okay. I don't know if you would think. I mean, this is terrible because I'm. But I don't know if you would think of Hillary Swank as kind of a femme fatale. Would you? You know, it's always weird when she does that sort of thing. I am a big Brian De Palma fan and Mm -hmm. her performance in The Black Dahlia, whatever you think of the the movie itself. I I haven't ever seen it actually. So It's a really wild and difficult movie and people hate it and I feel the opposite about it. (laughs) But she is doing literally a film noir film fatale. And there is this weird tension between her being... Hilary Swank, Million Dollar Baby, Boys Don't Cry, trying this, like, uh, because she's such kind of earnest performer, trying this uh, femme fatale. And And a a tomboy. She she doesn't girly up really well. Yeah, there's something androgynous about her always. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, I'm sorry, but she is, if you're going to, you know. 
She also I mean, played the the villain in The Hunt. Remember that movie? I think yeah. that was probably the last movie. That was this year. That was the last movie I saw in a theater. Yeah, me too. And she's really good in that. She's, I mean, she's good. She's good at playing this kind of bitch. evil person who's got this like terrible uh system that she's created for yeah but a, a most dangerous game as you might say but she's good in it and her she is good and then and the the fight scenes at the end are yeah. really well done yeah especially and the I, two of them with betty gilpin at the end but yes. yeah i mean i'm down to see her try something like that i don't know that it always works but i don't know lynn you've got me convinced maybe this is a, a movie i should watch with friends virtually and we can text each other how bad it is during yes right? yeah yeah. Okay. yeah it is very good i will say this there's a high body count in this what there aren't that many people in the cast well when you take the cast and the, the high body count and the blood there's a lot of blood there's okay. a lot of blood but right, speaking same, of go yeah ahead. i was just gonna say it's i don't understand okay it came out friday it's virtual and in theaters but all of a sudden, we started getting these for your consideration. Yeah. From Lionsgate. So I don't know what that is about. They want people to it see was it. In contracts. Well, speaking of action films, did either of you see Greenland? <laughs> no. That's, and I, that's and a our, no. our buddy Dan said it is a very serviceable, serviceable action flick with Gerald Butler playing an everyman hero. And so if you need that escape, see Greenland. Did you either of you see the new Grindelwald in another round? I sure no. did. Joshua, oh, I, that's on my list. That's on my list. I would move it up on your list um, for Mass Mickelson and the entire, it's about these four guys who uh, are teachers in a school, work in a school, and they decide based upon this study uh, that they would enjoy their work and their life if they maintained a small blood alcohol level throughout the day. Day drinking. So they start drinking. And of course, they're, you know, middle-aged men who, Maz Mickelson in particular, is completely drained of any will. Um, and this is such an incredible performance that he's giving here because you're used to well, I'm used to him from Hannibal, so being completely charming and a serial killer that I would have dinner with. And <laughs> he'll make a he, good Grindelwald. Yeah. Here he is, seems to be in a depressive episode and struggling with this new system that he and his cohorts have come up with. And the wild swings this movie takes in showing what it is to try and uh, move past a really terrible time in your life and what, what you can get from doing something different. It's not a movie that's necessarily about alcoholism. Um, I, it seems like alcohol is just a, a different cultural thing for them. It's more celebratory. Where does it, where does it take place? What, what country? It's um, it's in um, Denmark. Okay. Yeah, it's Thomas Vinterberg who made the celebration, oh. and he was one of the great, um, or whatever you think of him and his films. He came up with Lars von Trier in doing Dogma ninety five. Of course, they kind of abandoned all those tenets, and he made <laughs> the Hunt, 
with uh, Mads Mikkelsen a few years ago, which is also a great performance, a very different performance. But here, um, he's he is going through the glut of anyone who's in that kind of life crisis. And I tell you, by the end, the kind of resignation and acceptance that he does in this very celebratory scene is kind of uplifting, a little bit depressing. It it carries so much with it that I would definitely move it up your list to watch it. Um, I'm I'm not as crazy about it as a lot of people. I think uh, there might be some issues in 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 pacing and tone and things like that. But for uh, uh, Mads Mikkelsen, you've got to see it. And Lynn, you said, you told me the other day, you need to watch more international films. This is in Danish. This is the Dane entry into the Oscars. So Right. It's the official entry. And it's made a couple top 10, I've seen. Yeah, I would say that it, I know it's uh, the Danish entry, but I would say that it's probably got a good shot at it. I mean, we've got a lot of films to go through for right. that category in particular, but the kind of, um, you know, celebration of life that it is in showing life in the, you know, the nadir and the, the great things that can happen and in family and friendship. I think a lot of people will really respond to it. Okay. Dan, Dan liked it very much. Our buddy, Dan. I, I started, I started watching the Mexican one last night. I'm no longer here. Okay. I had to I had to stop it, but yeah, that's on my list too. Yeah, just waiting. But, um, I have to, I have to, I have to take a break. Minute, oh. take a break. So if you guys want to start talking about uh, the Bee Gees, I'll be right back. Our okay. bees, bees crawling at straws. Did you see that, Lynn? Oh yeah, no, I didn't, but I bet you did, Josh. Josh, welcome. um, I didn't. I did watch I did. Midnight Sky. Oh, good. Did you guys I watch hear that? About it. I did not hear I'm about your- that. I'm your woman and collective. I could talk about those okay. too. Lynn, I don't want, I so don't want to see collective. Okay. Let me, let me try and convince you to watch collective. Okay. It's going to be the most difficult sit. Really? Yes. It is a film about a nightclub fire that occurs in Romania and the fallout um, in the local hospitals. Mm-hmm diluting disinfectant and killing uh, tens and tens of people. I, I don't remember how dire the situation got. The main thrust of the movie is one about how a corrupt government uh, succeeds in their corruption. Mm-hmm. But the, the other, the main thrust I should say is actually a spotlight style documentary investigation of how journalism can save things, how journalism can bring the truth to everyone. So as, you know, journalists that we are, this is a a movie that is exciting and fulfills the ideal that you have in, whether you're doing film criticism or reporting a theater or whatever it is, that you're trying to get the truth out there. And as, as a documentary, as a film, it's one of the most thrilling experiences too, because it is filled with suspense and uh, you know, just swings of highs and lows that all of these people go through. 
I, Carl, you have got to watch Collect. I, I, I know I do want to see it, but I was okay. I had, when I got Collective, I was I had just seen The Dissident, and I started that, and I'm like, oh, I am not in the mood for this Khashoggi movie, and I watched it, and it was really, really well done. And then I'm like, I, I cannot watch another depressing murder documentary right after I've seen The Dissident, which. I didn't want to watch and I watch it. I'm glad I did. And I, it, it was, it, it, it didn't feel like homework. It felt, it was really well done. I just probably need to be in a move to see collective because it's a hard watch. I'm guessing. Yes. Well, and I will say that it's going to hit different as the kids say, I saw it at true false, which was like the world's last film festival. Right. <laughs> Um, and true falses can be hard because you're watching a lot of documentaries and a lot of documentaries tend to be about difficult subjects. Um, I found it is as terrible as the things that are happening in there and gut wrenching and stomach turning. I found it ultimately uplifting. I think it might feel different after what we've gone through in the past 10 months too, because it is specifically about how the government treats the healthcare system and what they value within it and how the, the, the bottom line is the dollar. Oh, well, um, uh, Romania, my uh, brother adopted a baby from Romania when Alex was one year old. And in Romania, it was an adoption factory in the 90s. And uh, it was. I, have, I know somebody that has a Romanian child. They had to pay a lot of money over to the government. They had to have, they had to have, they had to go through all these hoops with the government obviously very corrupt government hmm. but alex was in a room at the orphanage with 48 other babies in a crib ew i mean like you know they each had their own little crib 48 babies when my brother and his wife carol took him uh out they, they took him out of the orphanage to a park he had never been outside ew he had never been outside. He could not turn his head when they said Alex because he didn't know that was him. Oh. Well, all right. Anyway, I'm just saying that's a, that's a Romanian story from personal. So when this movie started, I got to go back. I got to be honest with you. I got to go back because then I had to prioritize other things. But it's, and I was, you know, I was a reporter in news for, you know 40 years so you still are i still am but i don't do like those investigations anymore but um i just when i read what it was about because at first you're thinking oh this awful nightclub situation how awful and 27 people died and then but then you find out all these people died later they didn't have to die because of the healthcare system and then it takes on this whole other this whole other look and it's just like this is why we need re investigative reporters and we've learned this year in the last four by the way this is another aside the washington post is gonna hire 150 more people good <clears throat> yeah to to make do they technically work for the for amazon or the washington post all right, my my question my question about this is: This movie came out at the Venice Film Festival a year and a half, a year and a third ago. It came out September of 2019. How is it eligible for the Oscars this year? Because it came out at the Venice Film Festival 
uh, 15 months ago. They didn't make it available to like November 20th on demand. Of this year. Yeah. yeah. But, but it was in the Venice Film Festival. So you'd think, and it was out in Romania in February. So I don't know how it's still, it, wouldn't it have been for last year's Oscars? Not no. necessarily the documentary branch and the way that they shortlist oh, things. It's, they it's have a, different, it's, it's a, a weird, wild mm, process. And I, I think um, it's run at True False. Uh, and it might have played Sundance first in the States. Okay. Would have qualified it this year for uh, the documentary. But uh, hasn't Romania submitted it as their yes, um, Romania, foreign language? It, it opened in, in Romania in February. So they've submitted it for this year. Yeah, so it opening here. So that's a whole nother set of rules, right? right? So it opening here November 20th um, qualifies it. Okay. Well, we so, didn't get it for the for the documentary awards for Critics' Choice Association. We didn't get it till we were we had already, you know, it was like the it? end. Mm, okay. That's a shame. I know. Yeah. I know. Well, let's talk George Clooney because Joshua has seen Midnight Sky opening and, on Netflix next week, and so is Lynn. And so have I. So I'll. Uh, you can. Ex- you can set it up, Josh. Uh, I heard he. I heard he was hospitalized for losing a whole bunch of weight. How's he look? I, Lynn, I don't know that I can set this up. I'm not okay. sure that I know what's going on in this movie from the <laughs> jump. Um, it is a okay. simple story. I can essentially say that George Clooney's terminally ill scientist, and that it's set, you know, about fifty. Oh. 50 years in the future, like it's, it's set in 2049, 30 years in the future, and uh, Earth is uninhabitable, he is staying behind, and people are, are leaving and going to a different planet so that they can try and survive out there. Do, do they behind. say Mars, or do they just say a different planet? No, it's, it's... They don't really say there's some people on Earth, but we know that that hasn't ended well. It's like Wally. Yeah, yeah. so... Um, but I will say, okay, Clooney hasn't made a movie since Money Monster, was it 2016? What was that thing with Julia? Uh, Julia, Julia Roberts. Roberts. What was and, the one? What was the one that he, took he over? directed. Oh, oh right. yeah, yeah. Well, on, and then what when was Hail Caesar? 2017, 2016. Okay, so he's run. So he's playing a 70 year old dying guy. So when you first see him, it's like, oh, because it's not Clooney like, you know, Ocean's 13 Clooney. So you're kind of taken aback because he looks terrible as he's supposed to. But he is a world renowned scientist. And they show this in flashback. But he's by himself at this. It's not a space. What's it? It's in the art. It's in the Arctic. And it's a. It is like, a sort of space. It's not in space, but it's a part of NASA, I believe, and that they're like, it's a part of this research facility, right? It kind of would remind you of the 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 place in the thing I thought of, of <laughs> but um, yeah, he's there alone. But then he's got a special guest who seems to have been left behind, and it's this very young girl who um, is doesn't speak. Um, but then there's a parallel story going on in a, a little space station in space with Felicity Jones, uh, Damian Bashir, uh, Kyle Chandler, 
and David Oyelowo. And they are, Lynn, what are they doing? What are they doing up there? Okay, they were on Jupiter. Uh-huh. <laughs> and uh, they found out that Jupiter, uh, Jupiter is actually inhabitable. Right, right. And, uh, and everything. And this is the thing. Clooney had done all this research years ago and was going around the country telling everybody about the moon of Jupiter. And so basically it's, they are realizing his research and uh, Felicity and David Aiello, although you would not know it the way they act are a couple and she's pregnant but they don't ever they don't ever act romantic or anything or act like they're more than co-workers. And so Kyle Chandler and Danny Bashir are the pilots and uh, uh, Aiello is the captain and Felicity's the assistant and they're trying to get home, but they can't get a hold of Earth. And they're freaking out like, how come we can't get a hold of Earth? And then Tiffany Boone, I don't know. What she is, but she's the newbie <laughs> on the ship. So we have them. So then there's all this debris in the air because of whatever happened on Earth. So their spaceship gets hit with. So they shouldn't be coming back home, yet they're coming home and Clooney's trying to stop them from doing so. Yes. Trying to yeah. stop them and also trying to get this girl off of earth so he he's doing he several stop, things how can he do both of those things without ruining the other one well see carl here's where <laughs> we get to what's the meat of this movie is that it's a mess oh it is i kept thinking about how when you prepare a big meal and you've got all these different dishes right and they have to cohere together. What you do is you make your mise en place, right? And you prepare all your ingredients. You do all of these things. As you're cooking, you've got several things that you're juggling so that everything's done at the same time. You're seasoning, you're tasting. Watching this movie is like watching someone fail at that miserably. <laughs> Don't start and, the potatoes yet. They won't be done until we're done eating. And every kind of idea or movement in this thing is so underbaked and half thought out and feels completely empty that I found it to be a complete slog, utterly boring. I didn't really find anything much redeemable about it. It's, it's a handsome looking movie. George Clooney is a director who knows how to compose a shot, knows how to move a camera. I don't know that he knows how to do much of anything else. He's, he's struck out time and time again since Good Night and Good Luck. And, you know, to varying degrees. Maybe Monuments Men is like an okay No, Monu Monuments <laughs> Men was my worst movie of that year. Suburbicon's a mess. The things that he added, you can tell what part was the Cohen part and what part was the Clooney part. That was awful. Ides of March, I'd say, is okay. Um, and see, I hate Ides of March so much. <laughs> Oh, and I, I like think, it. I like it. But I, I can understand. Well, this one didn't. Confessions I of a Dangerous Carl? Mind. That is that's good. Can we agree on that one? 
Uh, but the author of Confessions of Dangerous Mind is Charlie Kaufman. That's the auteur of that, right? Yeah, but he directed it, yeah. Yeah, but, I mean, it's his first outing as a director. It looks cool. It looks all right. But really, what's great about that is its script and its uniqueness. And he hasn't done that since then. Good Night and Good Luck is a great movie. I will say that. Okay. but Yeah, well, it's and a you're, subject, you're both, it's a you're subject both right. matter. You're both well, right. Uh, Hail Caesar and Money Monster came out in 2016. Okay, don't, uh, okay. Don't see this? Is didn't, that what you're saying? No, didn't, didn't I text you and tell you that it was a slog? You did. I go, oh man, this is, about two thirds in, I was like, what is the point? And my problem, Josh, is I'm right brain. So I have a hard time with sci-fi. I uh, overthink it. So I was trying to overthink it when it isn't necessary to be overthought, but it is from a book. So it unfolds like, that little information is doled out. And so you're really confused about it's, what's going on. It has you in a state of confusion the entire time, but it's, it's not exciting in the way. Um, I, I don't know if we still have time to talk about I'm your woman. I'm your woman does oh, something yeah, very similar in withholding information but the difference is I'm Your Woman is compelling at every moment to whereas this movie is boring at every moment. And ultimately you give up and you say, I don't really understand what the, the like you said, Lynn, what the point or the purpose is. And it, by the end of it, you understand that the point and the purpose is something that is so modern, something that is just such a retread of much better movies, much better sci-fi movies. It's really Spiel Spielbergian in about family and the family unit and doing saving the right thing right. and saving and um. Well, it's it, a big left turn. It sure is. Yeah. I didn't because I didn't even know if I got it right. Like I was like I I told Dan I said I actually went back and watched it again because I was at the Q and A that Kate Blanchett did with Clooney and so I still had the film. So I, I accidentally, I wanted to see that because I, I had put it on and it started again. And I thought, well, you know what? I might as well let it go because I think I missed things. I kept thinking I missed things. Yeah, but it's, right on, it's on, on Wednesday. It'll be on Netflix. And so is this a movie that like if you get confused, you can pause and back up or won't it matter? It will not matter because it's in the film itself is is confusing. The information is not there that's necessary and not with the same kind of purpose that someone like Quentin Tarantino withholds information or even in a suspenseful way like Hitchcock always did. I mean, there's very basic things that he's failing at. Now, did, I did these watched things it. Help, would they help the plot if they told you these earlier or was, does it matter that they're not telling you at all? Um, I, at a certain point, didn't care either way. Okay. Um, <laughs> to well, be honest. I just kept thinking... You know, at first I thought, okay, she's pregnant and it's a two-year journey. So which one of these people is the dad? Uh, right. And that's the thing about character, that these people aren't people either. They are just kind of ciphers. And you, like you said, Lynn, you would never know that David Oyelowo and um, Felicity Jones are together because... They're not people. They don't act or behave romantically. And it's not in a weird like high life sort of way where people are just like machines in this very scary prison thing. It's just that uh, the care isn't there for character. It's 
it's poorly written. I watched it with my boyfriend and he said, where's Hell 9000 when you need them? <laughs> to kill them all. <laughs> all right. So then let's pivot to a movie you did like. I'm your woman on Amazon. It's out now. Uh, did either of you get a chance to watch it? Lynn saw it. Um, I know this movie isn't really getting great. It's like mixed positive uh, reviews, but I found it wholly fascinating. It is a genre exercise. Um, it's Julia Hart who made Fast Color, which was also kind of a genre exercise, um, specifically about Rachel Brosnahan, who plays this, this wife of a gangster. And the gangster guy disappears. Someone comes to pick her up. And this is all after her husband has handed her a baby and said, this is our baby now. <laughs> and her entire life changes within a matter of days. And she's on the lamb and you don't really understand why, but what you do understand is that this woman is being forced to reckon with who she thought she was, who she will be and who she actually is. And she's the Mrs. Maisel. It is. It's Rachel Brosnahan, and she's given an excellent performance. Um, it's She's really keeping her cards to her vest, and I think that's really interesting for this character because the thriller genre, when it's done right and it's done well, always ends up being about identity, identity within society. And when you get into these extreme circumstances, how that changes your perception of self. And just even in the title, right? It's a, I'm your woman. There's an idea in there of I'm not myself, I'm someone else's. Of course, it's a plan like I'm your man being like, I'll, mm -hmm. I'll do the, the work for you, right? And the so, Wham song. <laughs> yeah, or Leonard Cohen, if you want to go there too. Okay. <laughs> uh, but uh, I just found it, it's a, it's a very purposely plotted and um, slow burn movie up until there are these bursts of action that at one point, I I don't emote a lot when I watch a movie. I gasped and was like, oh my God, I can't believe this just happened. Um, and the way that um, Julia Hart films this thing, she's she is doing a genre riff and she is, it's set in the 70s and it's stylized like new Hollywood 70s, which, you know, for what it's worth is, I don't know why people keep doing that sort of thing. <laughs> it's an homage in many different ways, uh, uh, but doesn't inherently make it better. But the filmmaking is excellent and it will remind you of a more feminine uh, Alan Jake uh, Pakula film or even something like Robert Altman's images about a woman who's, you know, uh, going through a crack up. Um, but this one, she really does kind of self-actualize throughout it. And I, I don't know, I, I think um, a lot of it might be on the nose for some folks, uh, but for me, it really worked. What did you think, Lynn? I agree with all of what you said. Kent loved it. My uh, Kent, uh, we write for the Webster Kirkwood Times, Kent Tencher. He goes, I really like the vibe of it. Have you seen it? And I said, no, but I'm going to. So I watched it uh, last Friday night, I think it was. Anyway, I didn't know anything about it. And uh, I lived through that period. So everything with that awful wallpaper and and all her fashion you know I just love the way they set up 
that she was basically a woman of that time where you depend, I mean, that's the way a lot of women were then. They just depended on their husbands to do everything. And that whole thing where she's in the negligee or the, what was it, peignoir, I think. That, that, that beautiful it, opening it, shot. It, you know? And and that and then she is a terrible cook. She can't she can't make an egg or a piece of toast. And the baby, I said, yeah, the baby. All of a sudden, she's holding a baby. And then a couple of days later, she's getting in the car. She knows nothing. So her evolution as a woman, learning to fend for herself, learning to be a mother learning to uh i thought that storyline was so good because we have not seen these are stories you don't see and uh of the the woman julie hart wrote this with her husband co-wrote it with her husband she, she also did uh, star girl not the dc movie but the disney plus film earlier this year so uh -huh. she's had a busy year well i love the way they said up now to me her pacing is a little you know, it's really kind of slow. But that was the only gripe I had. I really like the actor Arinza Kine from Nigeria. He's mm -hmm. really good as Cal. And this is one of those movies where they just dole out a little information at the time. And but as Joshua some... said, that can work. <laughs> and and it it um, the explosive action. She knows how to stage action. It's incredible. And that she stages action, but she also stages these very long conversations and it's the typical like thriller things people are not saying what they mean to say it's that they're saying uh, to manipulate each other and get one off over in each other but you're right it is very purposeful and it's not a it is does not play like a typical thriller but really it would put you in mind of something like John Cassavetti's Gloria or its pseudo remake, um, Eric Zonka's Julia with uh, Tilda Swinton in, in women who get into extreme situations and have to immediately adjust and become someone else. Uh, and so I, I love that one very special thing about it is that you don't really understand her before all of this happens because everything happens immediately. You get that really great opening uh, pan or not pan, it's a, it's a dolly shot up from her that plays over the credits. And she's just this kind of, you know, she's hanging out in the backyard and smoking and looking beautiful. And you, she's a gangster's mall essentially, but it turns out she is not that at all. It's like the non-funny married to the mob. Yes, 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 that's a, that's a perfect analogy, yeah. And, uh, and also she's very good and 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 the ensemble is good, mm -hmm. but the soundtrack is really good. There are there are needle drops in it that had they occurred in a different context, you'd be like, oh, we do we really need to Come hear? Um, do we really need to hear? You make me feel like a natural woman. But I thought immediately about in Midnight Sky when Sweet Caroline plays and how I wanted to just leave the room immediately because it seemed <laughs> like this really maudlin jejune like moment. So whereas when they in the car in the diner start singing a song to each other and then the needle drop happens, 
but it makes you think of that song in a completely different context in the context of this film. It's really special. Well, yeah. speaking yeah. of movies that they let you do stuff and you're finding out information a little bit, a little bit, a little bit at a time, Wander Darkly is out right now. And I did not care for it. Um, it's about Sienna Miller as Adrian and Diego Luna as Mateo as a couple who are not meant for each other. They don't, uh, they're not, they're not a good couple and their therapist says they need to go on a date night. So they go on a date night and they're involved in a car accident. Lynn or Joshua, did either of you see Wander Darkly? Not yet. Don't. Uh, (laughs) It's not. uh, I do like the fact that Sienna Miller is actually holding a real baby because last time she had a baby, uh, Clint Eastwood just told her to hold that doll. And Diego Luna is having an interesting time. His, I'm, I'm telling you, his Star Wars stuff will be more substantial than this movie. Um, so they're in this car accident. Beth Grant plays her mom, and Vanessa Bayer plays her best friend. It's weird. And Amy uh, Carrero, who's the voice of She-Ra on Netflix, plays a woman that Sienna Miller believes that Diego Luna is cheating on her with. It's just, it's just a whole bunch of mess. And you don't know what's going on because Sienna Miller thinks she's dead. And everyone is trying to convince her that she's not dead. Diego Luna's like, no, look, you're not dead. You're everything. We have a baby. Oh, yeah. They're not married. They were going to get married, but they decided to have a baby instead to save their relationship. So that's great, too. Um, If you like Sienna Miller's body, you get to see a lot of it many, many times during this film. So um, the payoff, this is one of those twisty payoff movies that once you find out what's going on, you're like, oh, okay. It's not exciting. It is, they want it to be all twisty. It's not twisty. It's just part of the story. And it's not, it was not satisfying to me. And I know Diego Luna and Sienna Miller are everywhere promoting this movie. This is another one of those movies that premiered Last January at Sundance, Lynn, once again, proving my theory, if you were any of the big four film festivals this year, they bought your movie just so they'd have content. And it's interesting that they're releasing this in December after buying it back in January. So normally, normally January would be the dumping ground for all these things. But, but since the Oscars have been pushed off so late, it seems that December is a dumping ground for movies that they don't know what to do. Well, you know what? Now this year, just in another aside, Sundance uh, starts January 28th this year. It's later, but it's virtual. I've signed up for the virtual one. And uh, will those movies be eligible for this year's Oscars also? Yeah, because if, if, if the closing date is February 28th, too much, too much stuff. So um, I do not recommend Wander Darkly. Sorry. And I know a lot of people were were trying to like think very highly of it, but I was not one of those people. Um, Sienna Miller was on the talk yesterday and I saw a little tiny clip of it. Um, 
they ask her if working with a fake baby like an American sniper was better than working with the real baby. <laughs> working with the real baby was Well, better. see, working with the real baby is bad. The this baby actually had more scenes like the in American Sniper. Um she she's just holding that baby for like one scene and that's what just got made fun of endlessly. This one the baby is in it actually a lot. Are we caught up? Do we No. The winner of the narrative feature at St. Louis International Film Festival, Beast Clawing at Straws. I saw that this week and I really liked it. I liked it very much. I still have to see it. I still have to see it. Joshua? No. Same here. Still oh have to gosh. catch up. It but, is, um, I, I it's hear Korean. It. Yeah. So it's really fun, huh? It's a neo noir. Uh, it is. And you know how a lot of these neo noir movies, the ending is like, okay, fine. That's an ending. That's an ending, but uh, it's it's not. This ending is satisfying. I was very satisfied with how this movie ended, and it made me very happy. It is very violent, and a lot of people are. Once you find out what's going on, because this is another one of these. It's a mystery. It's a murder. It's a thriller. It's a comedy. It's many many things. But once you once you wrap your head around what's going on, it is very satisfying in all of those categories. And I don't want to tell you anything else about it, except there is a bag of money. And there are lots of movies with bags of money, but this one I enjoyed very much. So uh, it is on video on demand now, right? And, and I think and it won. It won the St. Louis International Film Festival's narrative uh Award. It was well, it won the audience award and it won the Joe Pollock, the St. Louis Film Critics Joe Pollock Award for narrative feature. I, I, I liked it. Um, second year in a row, I really enjoyed a, a Korean film that I didn't think I was going to, and I, I'm happy I watched it. Well, we a Minari, whenever that comes out, we have to talk about that, but that's another one, but that's so different. Um, well, what do you think? This movie's fill, separated into six chapters. I wrote them down. Debt, Sucker, Food Chain, Shark, Lucky Strikes, and Money Bag. And All right. You, you've sold me. You you've should sold see me. it. It's, and I, I, I don't want to tell you anything else about it because I would like you to experience it like I did knowing nothing. Well, uh, you can skip the stand-in with Drew Barrymore. <laughs> I I got half. I will admit, I got halfway through and I had to stop. Had to stop or ran out of time? No, I. Had to stop. <laughs> it I'm was so bad. She plays a dual role, and she plays both of them very badly. It's about this obnoxious actress who whose stand-in is very sweet and wants to break into the career. But she has an unfortunate, uh, uh, but because the the main star has a meltdown that ruins her career because it goes all over social media. So it's it's Dave with acting rather than the president. But it's not even that level. It's just so okay. cliche and so bad. And uh, Ellie Kemper's a brief role in it, but it's just. How so do you know you didn't watch the whole thing? Maybe she has a big part at the end. Yeah, it could be. But it's so fake. It's just fake. It just feels so. Didn't even feel like a Hallmark movie, you know, or a Lifetime movie. <laughs> you know, just, that is all that is on in my house. 
I know, and I know people love them, and I know, like, because I, I uh, reviewed last week, Joshua, I reviewed Wild Mountain Time. Uh, so, that yeah, John Patrick Shanley. Christopher yeah, Walken is everywhere. Of, I know about that, but I think the stand-in's like five or six dollars. Don't even go there. Okay. Like, Greenland is $19.99 on video. It's an action on- movie. Yeah, so there's a lot of those 1999 ones. So I was looking for driveways because we got emails about Brian Dennehy being touted for Best Supporting Actor. So I found that it's on Showtime. So there you go, you know. So I watched it and it is a very gentle, delightful family film. I will say that. And he's very good. I don't know with the competition this year if he's going to make that cut. But I doubt it. I doubt it too, but it's a very tiny film and it's, it's a coming of age story. It's about a lonely little boy. His um, Brian Dennehy plays a Korean war veteran who lives next door to his aunt. He and his mom take off from Michigan to go cause the aunt has died and they're going to clean out her place. Okay. And sell the house and put everything in the driveway. And the mom thinks that, you know, they're just going to leave. But then, but the boy, uh, the lonely little boy develops a relationship next door with his buddy, uh, you know, Dell, who was in the Korean War and lives by himself and is a widow. It's real cute. It's just real, you know, just a real folksy, nice, gentle film. It's one, it's, it, it, people like the Hollywood Reporter like it, you know, so it's like, it's not cloying in that kind of way. Well, I started the Bee Gees documentary and I have not finished it yet. I do. The one thing I have heard about it, they don't mention their sister. There's a sister Gib that they don't mention at all in the movie, which. Really? Yeah. And they don't see you saw it and you didn't even know that there was a sister. Uh, so they're saying that Barry's the last one alive. He's not. He has a sister who is still alive. He's the last brother that's still alive, but not the last family member that's still alive. Okay, and I well, love the Bee Gees, and I cannot wait to watch this when no one is home with the speakers all the way up. It's really fun. Did you see it, Joshua? Did you see it? No, this is actually the first time hearing about a Bee Gees documentary. How can you oh. mend a broken heart? It's on, it's, it's on HBO Max. It's on HBO On Demand. It debuted two weeks ago. It's been sitting in my queue. Oh, this was the night... Ugh. This was the night that the power went out because the I, I can't tell the story, but power went out. And also people were dealing with Channel five being out for the first Saturday. This so uh, that was I had to watch it that I had to record it the next day. But it's on HBO Max. I suggest if you are a disco fan or a fan of the Bee Gees, watch it. Right, Lynn? Yes, it's so good. It's so thorough. It's uh, uh, Frank Marshall. Yeah. Oh, uh, OK. And, Kathleen Kennedy and Frank Marshall produced it, and Frank oh, Marshall directed so it. It's so thorough. It has uh, uh, it has surprising backstories. The backstory to Saturday Night Fever is fantastic. It's so like I didn't even know this. I was twenty three when Saturday Night Fever came out. I'm just gonna say that. So you know, so that's you, you know, I know everything about that era. I was six. But it's, okay. It's so good. Joshua and wasn't it, born in 1977. Nope. But, but it's so good. And then and then they do a whole big thing about the disco sucks uh, push 
and with Steve Daly uh, from the loop in at the Chicago White Sox Stadium, and that how that ruined all those people's careers, mm-hmm. and the movies were taken down in it, even though they weren't necessarily disco. They and just it happened does, to be uh, not necessarily even dance music, like Stevie Wonder and Marvin Gaye. They just picked black music. Oh yeah, so they go through a whole thing about that, which is really fascinating. And then uh, they they do have their early years. They're growing up, and they're uh, how they got hooked up with Robert Stigwood. The Talking Heads are very good. It's Eric Clapton, Noel Gallagher. They have one of the Jonas Brothers talking Nick, about. Me. I believe it's Nick and uh, and Justin Timberlake, who played Robin on Saturday Night Live with Jimmy <laughs> Fallon. That's but, right. But the Oasis I told, thing. I totally forgot. The about Oasis that. thing is good because that he. Uh, Noel Gallagher knows how to deal with uh, playing with his brother. Right. And Chris Martin's really good too. He does a whole thing about being fallen out. Well, Eric Clapton talks no, wait, about how is he... It, is it Noel Gallagher or Leo, Liam Gallagher from Oasis? I think it's Noel. I think... I can't keep him straight. I'm sorry. It, it, doesn't, it doesn't matter. They're both Oasis brothers. But Eric Clapton has the thing, like, he thought he was exclusive to Robert Stigwood, and then all of a sudden, on yeah. his label... They were on the RSO label. They were label mates. And he's like, who are these guys? So he's always envious. But when he did his his recording in Miami and that Ocean Boulevard uh, yeah. album... sixty one Ocean Boulevard. They had told the Bee Gees in England, they were like, because they were struggling to get back at... They hadn't had a hit in years, and they were like, why don't you go to Miami? Why don't you go? So then they hook up all these Miami people with them and they stayed in the house that Eric Clapton stayed in the ocean Boulevard house. And it has this whole neat story about how they got back into it. Cause they did jive talking and nights on Broadway and nights on Broadway is when Barry used the falsetto for the very first time. And it was like, that opened up this whole new career for them. And he never even knew he could do it. So it's so fun if you are a fan of the Bee Gees, and I am. And it's so fun to remember all that. And I mean, and then plus they have good stories, new ones. And then um, uh, they have uh, they have two, uh, Robin and more. They have a lot of clips, a lot of clips. But Robin and Morris, they have them when they were live talking. And then they have their widows. And Barry talks. And then Barry's still married to the same woman he married back in the 60s. She's not on camera. Her voice. It's just her voice. Yelling at him from the background. <laughs> no, no. But uh, the part about Andy's all sad. Oh. Just really sad. So they dedicate the movie to him and then to Robin and then to Maurice. And Lulu's on there, you know, first wife. And then um, what else is there? You got to stay for the end. You got to stay. It shows Barry at a concert because, you know, after the disco thing all fell out of favor and stuff, you know, now it's kind of come back in, in very nostalgic well, they way. Still had, they still had a career. They started, they wrote Islands in the Stream for Dolly and Kenny. I know they wrote, they showed them writing for Barbara Streisand, Celine Dion, Dion Warwick. They show them, they wrote over a thousand songs. Well, yeah, because after the, after 1980, the Bee Gees were toxic. They're like, well, we can still write songs and just let other people do them. Right. And then they've had 20 uh, number one hits, 20. 
Well, the, the cover of Barbara Streisand's Guilty album is her holding a shirtless. Well, no, his shirt's all the way open. It's Barry Gibb holding Barbara Streisand. And it's, you can see nothing but chest hair. Uh, he, yeah, he's. But so they show him uh, at a concert, like I don't know when, you know, not. I don't think he's doing them now. He's 71 now. But it shows him at a concert and it shows the bouncers all in the front, you know, and it shows like all these technicians, they're doing the night fever move and it shows the line of bouncers doing the night fever dance <laughs> during the concert you know it's just fun it's just really fascinating you you can't believe that they wrote that much music even if you were around at the time i mean collectively it's just really well it's really well done well we have to go but joshua we want to talk about what you're doing in february we need to get that in absolutely well I've got something in January I want to mention too. Oh, I'm just a, was, okay. Mention them all. I've got a, a, a few things coming up. Cinema St. Louis, uh, they do a golden anniversaries festival every year. This is uh, 2021 is now the what? Third iteration. Seven? Yeah. So we're, well, I think it's, we're coming on number four because 68, 69, 70. Right. Yeah. 68 would have been during the festival. So this is the, the third it's on its own um, this year. So it's going to be a little different in that the second Monday of every month, it, a uh, film will have discussion with a film critic, scholar, reporter, um, someone who is a, an expert on whatever the film is. And I am very excited. I get to start the whole festival this year with one of my most favorite movies, The Last Picture Show, that I know Lynn has a, a lot of affection for too. It's uh, Peter Bogdanovich's, uh, you know, Academy Award winning, Academy Award nominated, and box office, uh, you know, bonanza winning film. Um, that's uh, about you know some kids in Texas in the fifties and. You know, what happens when people don't have much to do? Um, so I'm very excited to talk about it. And, you know, it's been one of my favorite movies since I was a kid and probably didn't understand a lot about it. But it's such a gorgeous film in black and white. And um, I think that's what immediately drew me to it, is that it just seemed completely out of time and about also about a very specific time. So I'm excited to talk about it. It's a stone cold classic. So um, I meant to look up where it is currently streaming. Um, it looks like you can definitely get it on Blu-ray through Criterion Collection. It's available uh, singly and also in a box set called uh, uh, the BBS Story that contains Easy Rider, The Monkey's Movie Head, King of Marvin Gardens, Five Easy Pieces, the films that were produced by Burt Schneider um, during the early to mid 70s. You can rent it on any service that you can find out there. I'm looking right now and it looks like you right. can kind of get it anywhere. Um, I would definitely say it's a film that if you can see in high definition and on Blu-ray because of the, just the gorgeous film grain and black and white things that we don't see anymore. Um, and even around then, that was becoming increasingly rare. Uh, check it out. That's going to be, uh, you can register for the event on Cinema St. Louis's web website. Um, you'll want to watch the film beforehand. And then I'll be doing uh, introduction, discussion, 
and taking questions. I know Lynn got to do for 1970, just the most recent golden anniversaries, John Cassavetti's Husbands. And it's, even though it's virtual, it's still so much fun because you're just digging in an alcove of uh, French, uh, French, of film history. And there's so much to talk about uh, with this film, but also behind the scenes of this film and uh, where Hollywood was at the time. Uh, the other thing that is coming up and hasn't quite been announced, maybe by the time this podcast up, might be on Webster's film, uh, Webster Film Series website, is that Pete Timmerman, the director of Webster Film Series, is doing Fassbender February, uh, in which uh, some critics and Pete are going to be doing ostensibly a class on the films of Reiner Werner Fassbender, the great new German uh, cinema director who was, I believe, made 40 feature films over 12 years and then died and left this crazy amount of work about um, the history of Germany, about people and society. And, um, you know, he was a, a queer person who explored queer life when a lot of that wasn't going on. So uh, there are four films in this. So it is just a brief survey, um, but there are four films that are, are really great. I get to do another one of my very favorite movies. Um, it's called Ans Essenzil Auf, which is uh, in uh, better How does known. Does that translate? <laughs> better known in America as Ali, Fear Eats the Soul. And it is probably the most accessible of his films. Um, it is a classic. It's one of Roger Ebert's great movies. Um, it is a film that is very special and near and dear to me. And uh, I'll kind of get into auteur theory about uh, uh, Fassbender and how that all relates and how he was kind of a, a, a memorific uh, director and put his heart and soul and his brain into all of these just copious amounts of films that uh, he made. There are also three other films in the series in a year with 13 moons that Pete will be doing a discussion. Kate Loris covering the bitter tears of Petra von Kant. And then uh, Robert Hunt of RFT is going to be doing, oh, let me double check. I'm very sure it's the third generation, which is a film with some, some pertinent political ideas right now. So that is going to be throughout February, Thursday nights, I believe at seven. Follow uh, Webster Film Series, their uh, WU Film Series on Twitter and Instagram, uh, Webster Film Series on Facebook. They're gonna be doing the same thing, Cinema St. Louis. You're gonna watch it beforehand. Ali, uh, Fear It's the Soul is currently on Criterion Channel, it's on Canopy. It is on HBO Max. Um, H HBO Max has a deal with Criterion Collection and Janus oh. Films. So you'll be able to see some of these on there. I, I don't know that all four are there. They might be because Janice now owns the rights to all of them. Um, but either way, I believe you can see them all uh, streaming online if you got those services. And it's the same thing, watch it beforehand and then come fully prepared to have your, your mind blown by some film critics and scholars. And it's a, it's a really exciting time to be able to do these things online. People are getting very creative and uh, I'm excited to just be able to talk about a couple of my favorite movies. 
That's excellent. That's wonderful. Love that. That's wonderful. Okay, so we we ran out of time to talk about what's shaping up for top ten lists and awards and everything. But Joshua, if you had to recommend one movie for people to see, uh, uh, like you can't miss this movie, what would it be? I I won't spoil my list, as precious as it is. Uh huh. Um, there's something coming out on Disney Plus on Christmas that is very near and dear to my heart, uh, uh, like I said about All He Fears the Soul, is so life-affirming, so beautiful, cinematically inventive. It is Pixar's soul. Um, I think it's getting some mixed reactions out the gate. I'm confused by that. I think it's one of the best things they've ever done. Um, another film that I would say, if you have the chance to be able to see, it's gonna be premiering in a couple of days. I think it's on the 22nd on PBS. I don't know, Channel 9 is necessarily airing it. It is the great documentarian, a 90 year old Frederick Weisman has made his latest uh, grand opus called City Hall. It is a documentary that goes into the ins and outs and every single detail of what it is to run a city. The city in particular here is uh, Boston, Massachusetts. It's four and a half hours long. Whoa. It does not feel four and a half hours long. It is so filled with life, um, just like soul, uh, that I think uh, you would be pleasantly surprised how interesting it is to see the mayor of Boston try to uh, adjust his message for many different audiences throughout four and a half hours. The last thing I would say is the Small Axe series uh, Steve McQueen's Small Axe Films, the anthology about the um, sub-community of Caribbean immigrants into the UK, uh, London in particular, uh, in the well, 60s throughout the, the 80s. He's made five films that should be among the best of the year coupled together. They're one of, I think, something that we'll all be talking about for a very long time. Uh, if you want to start with one, start with Lover's Rock, which is a, a, a party movie that has, uh, I think, great political move throughout it without being politic. I think it's one of the most beautiful things Steve McQueen's ever done. And um, they're all five films are definitely worthy people checking out. Excellent. Well, I, will, I, I reviewed uh, Soul on Max on Movies this week, and we will talk about it on this podcast next week. But I want to say that it is the most thoughtful and thought through Pixar movie because it knows where it's going and it knows where it's leading you and it knows what you are expecting and takes you by the hand to point A all the way through point B. You not might, you might not like the journey because I know people that Joshua. I think people are upset or bored in the first third of the movie and then they don't know where it's going and that's what is upsetting people but if you let it if you follow soul's journey you will be satisfied with the result and it's a lot of movie it zigs and zags in directions that you probably won't expect it to and when it settles into something that's a little bit more familiar it still sings it's still beautiful to me i'm i'm really kind of amazed at what they were able to achieve in it and visually it's the best thing they've ever done there, my daughter loved the experimental animation because it is done in three different styles. Lynn, we're not spoiling this for you, but there are three different, there is an experiment. There is a, well, cause it's Pete Doctor. There is the inside out 
part, there is the experimental part, and then there is the regular universe. And three different types of very good animation. And it's a very good, it's upper tier Pixar, which is good because Onward was horrible. <laughs> but the last time Disney did this, the same two directors had two films out in the same year. They had uh, they had Good Dinosaur followed by Inside Out, and now we have Onward followed by Soul, which I I don't understand why they would do this to us <laughs> because they're supposed to be, you know, every year. I know the pandemic screwed everything else up, but why would you have a Dan Scanlon and then a Pete Doctor after you had the results you had last time? I, I don't get it. I, Pete Doctor, I got to interview him on the Up Tour um, in like 2011. I love that guy. That's he great. So he's a genius, but he's so normal and down to earth and just great. But anyway, thank you very much. What happened? I just moved my tray and my glass broke. But oh, okay. Hey, thanks. That sounds like a good time to leave. I know. Thanks so much, Joshua. We will have you back again to talk about the year's movies and everything. And thank you so much. And Carl, you shaved your beard. I did. Well, no, I just shaved. It's never a beard. It's and I got a haircut and I'm wearing my Christmas hat that is sequins. And so it can be red or green. So this was supposed to be my hat last year, but then the blues won. So I had to have my blues Stanley Cup championship hat last year. So it it, it can be either red or green and it's, you know, both. Well, nice. everybody, I hope you have a safe holiday and Merry Christmas, um, Merry Christmas. shop local. Be safe. Be and safe. Stay yes. inside. Peace. Stay, I know. stay away from people. Yeah. Peace and love. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thank you. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Joshua. So Thanks.